You're listening to Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries. Because no good podcast starts with a salad. Hello, lover. Hello, darling. Welcome to yet another podcast with your hosts, Brandon and Allie. Hi, guys. Hope everybody had a fantastic weekend, although I guess by the time you hear this, also had a fantastic week. That's true. (laughs) Well, I mean, it hasn't been that long because they, they are getting that rogue episode part two to the murder ride, right? Yes, but if this one actually goes out on Thursday, then it's kind of weird to say, I hope you had a good weekend, because they're like already prepped for the next right, weekend. Yeah, that, so. was, that was kind of my point. So, hey guys, tomorrow's Friday! Yay! <laughs> Unless, of course, we end up releasing this early. So, <laughs> either have you... a great weekend, I hope you had a great week, or, hey, the weekend's coming up! <laughs> All around, hope you're just having a good time. One of those. I'll and either good morning, good evening, or good afternoon. No good night. Or good night. (laughs) So, I have a little topic that I want to cover before we jump into this. My lover and I went on a fantastic yacht ride last weekend. Oh, did we not already talk about that? No, not at all. Yeah, I guess not. We just kind of went right into the whole uh, murder ride episode. We sure did. So... I mean, it was a lot of fun. I have never gone down the Chicago River like that at nighttime. I have not either. It is absolutely Ugh. gorgeous at night. I got to tell you guys. It was. It was so fantastic. And I was so inspired by it when we got done that I I looked up Chicago murders, crimes, hauntings, you know. Because that's that's where my brain goes. Genius. <laughs> and I found out something absolutely crazy that it kind of feels weird that we were talking about how gorgeous our trip was down this this scenic lit up. You know, it, it, we had the the art light show, so they had all of the art pieces being displayed on the side of the buildings while we were going down the river. So I mean, it was even more amazing than when you just normally do it but i found out that right down the path that we took on july 24th in 1915 the ss eastland massive ship massive it had 2572 passengers plus crew and this was on the river yeah that's impressive holy cow it was uh going in and out of lake michigan and it was carrying a lot of immigrants, and they were doing like a picnic on um, on the island out by Lake Michigan somewhere. I was impressed by a lot of the you know yachts and boats around us, like how large they can be and still oh, yeah. go down that river. It well, must be pretty dang deep there. I mean, not as deep as you would think. No, 
which I found out. Oh, I was actually wondering that. So that works out well. Yeah. But what's crazy is we actually passed by where this ship capsized. and Like it's still there? No, they've pulled it up. Okay. But it, it did sink. So 1915 was like right after the Titanic sank and they changed the rules of boats. So they all had to have enough lifeboats for the passengers that were on board. Well, this ship was designed without that in mind. I mean, I feel like the shore is not that far away. It's like a stone's throw. (laughs) Right? Well, it was too top heavy. And when everybody ran to the side to like look over and wave at their loved ones and stuff because they were coming back from their journey. Oh, no. The boat started tipping. So then everybody like went back and forth and it was too top heavy and the whole ship flipped over. So all their loved ones like watched this happen. Oh my lord, yes. What's horrible is when it happened, it happened so fast that it trapped and killed 844 passengers and four crew members. Now this How many passengers died? 844. Out of like 2,000? Yeah, 2,572. So, oh, yeah. Wow. What happened was... it when, when they, they got trapped, I assume. Like, they had yes. to. Okay. When this happened... I don't happened, think the life vests would have made a difference in this life case. Life vests, yeah. lifeboats, like, no, nothing would have helped them. They were down in their rooms because it was a cool morning. It was, a, like, damp, and people were just downstairs in their cabins as they were getting up there and when it tipped over the heavy furniture the bookshelves the desks the tables just fell and killed a lot of people oh i'm sure and, and i'm sure a bunch of people were down there just getting all their luggage and everything because yeah, they're, they're, they're about to get off yeah they and anybody who wasn't crushed they were they were trapped because can you imagine trying to swim out of the bottom of a boat no that you i mean like, unfortunately i have imagined this because of <laughs> movies but i don't like to imagine this yeah. that is one of my few fears is uh being trapped underwater they were only 20 feet down interestingly enough i'll have to off the post this story i literally just read a story about a guy who got trapped underwater for three straight days at like 100 feet down and managed to survive I, I was like some video I think I saw on YouTube or Facebook or something, but he, he swam to another compartment and the water was like up to his neck and like so many crazy things happened that caused him to stay alive. One, had he not swam to the other room, the water rushed into the room he was in and he would have drowned. He went pitch dark, couldn't see anywhere and decided to try to swim out, couldn't make it out, but made it to another room that also happened to have air. Then You know, he found furniture and fashioned like a raft to get up on because the water was freezing cold and he would have died from hypothermia. But splashing the water caused oxygen to be released from the water and carbon dioxide to be trapped in the water. Wow. Otherwise, he would have suffocated from carbon dioxide poisoning. Yeah. And then on top of that, when the divers, like, they assumed everybody was dead, they actually came down to the boat, knocked on it, 
He knocked back, but they didn't hear him. So they just left, assuming everybody was dead. They came down three days later for looking for, like, basically to get the bodies to bury. And he was too weak at that point to, like, bang on anything or call out to them. The diver swam past him. He grabbed his arm. Oh, can you imagine being right. that diver? Oh, and this was shit. on video. There was a guy on the boat above who was watching this happen and freaked out. I was like, he's alive. He's alive. They came, like, put an oxygen mask on him, but they couldn't swim him out. Because he would get SIDS if he if he came up too fast. Oh, because he'd been down there under that pressure for so long. Any amount of time. Like, if yeah. you go down 100 feet, apparently they're supposed to, like, you know, decompression on the way up or whatever. Yeah. So the divers were freaking out that this guy, they can't really, like, talk to him and explain what he has to do. He's going to panic and freak out and try to swim up or injure the divers in the process of saving him. Oh, yeah, because I definitely would just be like, get me to land. Right. I mean, like panic takes over. It's not even you. And so they get him out. He imagined he, he managed to remain calm and they waited and they would wait, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever. And then they go up a little bit further and wait. And then he had to go from this little trapped room to when he got above water, they put him in a decompression chamber for like, I think another five days or something like that. And oh. he had to wait in there. And those decompression chambers back then were very, very small. No, thank you. Whoa. And the only reason he survived is because he got up to take a piss in the middle of the night. Everybody would lock their doors in their cabins in this boat. And he had unlocked the door to go to the bathroom outside there. Or he, like everybody else, would have been trapped in his room frantically looking for a key as the boat was capsizing. So, Wow. I'll get you the full story. I'll post that on our Facebook, our Instagram, the whole nine yards. It is really crazy. I just so happened to read that. And I have enough of it memorized to like to just, share. Yeah, that's, but, I that's mean, it awesome. Was, there's so many more details that I probably left out. So I'll share that for sure. Wow, that's amazing. Back to your story. Sorry, that was just so... No, relevant. I, mean, I just yeah, saw that. That's amazing. I mean, that that's pretty much, I mean, without diving into it and making it my topic for the episode. Oh, it's not your topic? You know. No. The, <laughs> uh, the, I totally the, thought that was your topic. All right. No, sorry. That was just like my little, like, where we were to imagine that. We were trapped on the bottom of the, you never told us how deep the river was. 20 feet. Did you say that? Yeah, they were just 20 feet down. That, oh, yeah, you did say that. Sorry, that's, that's insanely shallow well i mean it's still deep enough for those boats but much shallower than i thought it was based yeah. on the size of the boats i see in there oh yeah so it was it was just one of those like kind of weird things that we're looking at all this beauty and all this but like holy cow so many people died right there oh and i'm sure if you look into other you know mafia drownings or uh, stones in the bottom oh, of people's God. feet and what i'm sure there's a lot more uh, there's a whole lot of bodies in the <laughs> bodies chicago in river However, and unless you have any other topics. No, I thought you were jumping right in. That was exciting as heck. And I kind of shared a topic too then. It was a, yeah, a fun little. It was just a fun little tidbit that I found because I was Googling Chicago. A tidbit in, in and of itself is kind of a fun thing to say. Tidbit. A little tidbit. I almost want to say tidbit. Tidbit. <laughs> uh, but actually, I did discover my theme for this week is Chicago and I don't know if you have any guess as to who I chose. Al Capone. No. H.H. H. Holmes. I did. I'm good. <laughs> you are. So I... You mentioned true crime so I went to Al Capone and I said mafia earlier but then I know you so... Yeah, I love me some H.H. H. Holmes. I will start this out 
I'm going to take you on a little journey. Oh, I like journeys. Mm -hmm. To begin today, I would like to take you back in time. I want you to imagine yourself back in 1893, entering a bustling Chicago, Illinois for the World Fair. As you move through the sights and the ride, the Ferris wheel, you're amazed and filled with excitement. You're unable to avoid the happy and energetic energy that's flowing through the air. Now, a man who owns the World Fair Hotel approaches you and tells you of the finest hotel for you to stay in while you're in the city. He just built it for the fair itself, hence its name. And you think to yourself, hey, he built this like for me. So his delightful description of his castle of a hotel, you definitely make up your mind and you go with him. Once you arrive, he checks you in and you move to the second floor. Following your gracious host and very personal and charming hotel owner, you arrive at your room and it is everything that he has promised you. It's luxurious, the furniture, the decor is of the finest qualities. As he wishes you an adieu and closes the door, you begin to feel strange, sluggish, nauseous, and out of breath. You go to open the window, and as you pull back the curtain, there's nothing but a brick wall. Slightly panicked, you go to step outside to get some air, some sort of relief. But to your horror, you realize you have been locked in the room from the outside, and your room is now being filled with a poisonous gas. No way out, no one to hear you scream, locked in this room to die by the very man who rented it to you. Pretty terrifying, right? Uh, a little terrifying, yeah. I, I could imagine <laughs> myself in that situation. I don't even know, you can't like break the window because it's brick. I would just bang on the door as hard as I possibly could, but that's <laughs> that's pretty dang scary. You could bang as much as you want, but the only person on the other side of that door is H.H. Holmes himself. Oh no, I meant to try to like bang it down. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it was a pretty tough door. It was a pretty tough door. This place was built pretty crazily. So I'm going to give you a little background on H.H. Holmes before we get into the actual hotel. I just got to say, when I get to my topic, you guys are totally going to think we planned this ahead of time. <laughs> we not the same not topics, but how we introduce our topics. You guys are going to be like, wait, no, they planned that. We did not. I promise. That just blew my mind what she just did. <laughs> So I guess we might be on the same mind path today. Yeah, definitely sharing some uh, right. psychic uh, our, something there. Our psyches are, are met, apparently. So H.H. H. Holmes, born Herman Webster Mudgett on May 16th, 1861, changed his name to H.H. H. Holmes that we all know him by. Actually, Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, if you want to be specific. Ooh. Was he an actual doctor? He was. He, he was? He was. Uh, which is pretty funny because I I feel like every time I talk about a serial killer, 
their born name is not the name that we know them by. I feel like they all change it at a, at a very young age. That is true like in last, many cases, yeah. yeah. I, I was trying to think about it. I'm like, man, is this like a sign of a killer? You gotta change your name when you're like a kid. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they have some sort of like identity crisis yeah. throughout their or life. Like, and yeah, or like a disconnection from who they were to who they are. Well, I will say, and this just instantly reminded me of this, in the Bible, and whether or not you believe in the Bibles, you know, neither here nor there, it was very common for God, essentially, to rename people as their, like, importance or their uh, position changed. You know, when he chose them for a particular task, it was very common for their names. Sometimes, like, it would just change the spelling. I remember one example was, like, Sarah to Sarah with an H at the end. But there were, there were, like, 15 different examples throughout the Bible where their name changed as a result of, like this new path they were on. So I wonder if well, the devil does the same thing. I mean, he changed his name because he had to escape scandals and he was a con man. So sure. a little different. I mean, no, that, that could be the case or it could be the way the devil influenced there events to take place. Hmm. Well, so he had a pretty normal youth. It was sensationalized once all of it came out and he was arrested. And a lot of people... Um, ooh, is that is that a Smirnoff drink that you're drinking? Yes. Alrighty, so you're drinking. Oh, because we didn't mention our spirits. We did not. It's a little embarrassing. We are currently on uh, keto. keto. We had mentioned this. So yeah, I'm I'm drinking a very girly drink. It's the like Smirnoff spiked sparkling seltzer. Technically, is still a spirit because it is made with Smirnoff vodka. But not exactly the most manly of all drinks. You're still manly to me, my love. Aw, thanks. Now, I too am on keto, and I chose a little bit more manly of a drink. Henry's sparkling (laughs) cider. (laughs) Which is so interesting, because not that any of these drinks are necessarily spectacular. According to most... And, you know, unless they want to sponsor us, in which case, they're the best drink I've ever had. Hell yeah. But no, I mean, like, out of all of these, like, easy, low-carb, low-sugar drinks out there, to me, these Smirnoff ones are awesome. Like, they actually taste refreshing and good. Oh, she thinks they no. taste terrible. <laughs> like, legitimately, like, cringes a little when she drinks them. And vice versa, the Henry's, I mean... The aftertaste is, like, horrifying to me. I can't even get the flavor out of my mouth. I'm currently drinking a blueberry lemon seltzer water. No, she's not. What she's drinking is something that has a hint of blueberry and, like, an overwhelming sensation of disgustingness. No, it's just my mouth. Unless, of course, they want to sponsor, in which case they are amazing. (laughs) Dancing. Don't be a sellout. I have a feeling this is not how we're going to get sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) This sucks, unless you like us, in which case, it's awesome. Oh, my goodness. But that is what we are drinking this week. Yeah, now that you made me admit it. Ah. (laughs) I was going to go ahead and get some gin and just uh, enjoy some gin on the rocks. Christmas tree on the rocks. No, I love gin. Mm. And I don't care if you consider that to be manly or not, but that is the true gin martini drank by 
James Bond. James Bond. I thought he drank... Shaken, not stirred. I thought he drank it with vodka. I'm pretty sure he did because uh, I just watched uh, History of Drinks. It's a YouTube series I watch. And he made a gin martini. And then he was like, by the way, the original Bond one is vodka. You are correct. Yeah, one medium dry vodka martini. See, I thought I looked this up before and that it turned out to be gin. Either way, James Bond or not, the original martini is, in fact, the gin. I thought it was also drank by James Bond, but apparently not. It's just classy as fuck. Still is, yes. Classy. All right. So I suppose I'll bring us back from this detour. So H.H. Holmes, as a child, as I was saying, his childhood was kind of sensationalized by the media once his killings kind of came out and he he got sent to trial they said that he was like killing animals and he was really dark and gloomy but when you look back into it there was really no proof of that and they kind of like wanted him to fit this mold but there really wasn't from what I understood about this guy, too, a lot of the folklore around his castle hotel was exaggerated. Oh, yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely get into that because it was quoted that this was more fiction than it was truth. So, you know. Which sucks because, I mean, from what I understand, there there is a lot of, like, really crazy stuff he oh, did. Oh, no, yes, yes. It's just to the extent that some people think you know, it's it's all it's up in the air because he was crazy and everything he said didn't make sense. Yeah, and, and it's like why? I mean, I guess it's still it's going to get passed down over time and the stories retold and added and twisted and all that. But I, it, it was almost a letdown when I heard the true story or what I think was the true story. I'll find out more tonight. But at the same time, if I would have heard that story first, I'd have been like, "This is still crazy." Oh yeah. Only I, mean, I wouldn't have said still because it would have just been <laughs> what I knew. Yeah, it's it is. A crazy story in its truth. Um, it has been sensationalized, though. The, there is one true story from his childhood that has been confirmed, and that is that growing up, Holmes was terrified of doctors, doctors' offices, all of these things. And me too. The yeah, you are. <laughs> the school children that he was in class with are assholes because. Kids are assholes. Yeah, pretty much. And they found out about this. And so what they did was they trapped him up against a medical skeleton at a doctor. And they forced him to stay there. For at a doctor's sp- office? I think so. They like kind of like it's the school kids, but they made him do this. Maybe like science class? It might have been science class. Either way. Okay. But <laughs> it was kind of strange how it was worded. But they they held him up there and they like made him face to face with this skeleton, this actual human skeleton. An actual human skeleton? Uh, yeah, that's what they had back then. Cool. Well, this actually normalized him in this experience and he no longer... They know not oh. what they have done. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he was no longer afraid of a doctor and he's... That's like literally submersion therapy or whatever they call that when they like yeah, force you into they force it you into it like somebody who's afraid of like germs and they just throw them in a dumpster yeah yeah if i said that word correctly i think that's what it is i think so but so yeah they they did this to him and he decided right there and then that he was going to be a doctor of anatomy 
And he absolutely started being fascinated by human anatomy and, you know. I am also fascinated by human anatomy, especially your anatomy. (laughs) Oh, honey. So he had a pretty normal life in the, the early years. He he graduated high school by 16, and I think that that was kind of normal. I don't think they went to school until 18 like we do now because the way that I, the way I read it, it was just kind of like, well, he graduated when he was supposed to at 16. Yeah, and a lot of people graduate at 17 now, so I'm sure they added like a little bit of time to school. But, yeah, that would make sense. Or they started just a little bit earlier. Either way, it's not that far off. But yeah, in 1878, in July, he married Clara Lovering, and they had a son together, and he went to university. Now, the first university that he went to, he was like, you know what, Mm -mm." and he peaced out, and he went to University of Michigan, and there, he studied under um, the anatomy instructors, and he worked in the lab where they were actually dissecting cadavers and working on, you know, dead bodies because that was his fascination and he was going to school for being a doctor and he sort of set himself up to be able to do (laughs) what he wanted to do. But to make money during this time, he was very charming. He was very intelligent. He was a fantastic speaker. So what he did was he was selling books door to door. But not paying the company the money after he sold the (laughs) books. And he was doing this with a lot of things. You know, whenever one of them got annoyed with him because he wasn't bringing him the money, he'd just kind of move on to the next company. He also was taking the cadavers from the university and he would mutilate them in such a way that they weren't able to identify them. And then he would get these insurance policies on loved ones and claim that they were his loved ones. And he would would pull in money from that. Evil freaking genius. I like this guy. And so far, I like this guy. I'm just saying. I mean, you know, he's really not doing anything too bad right now. Um, I mean, it's all a matter of perspective. (laughs) Yeah. So. I'm sure insurance companies would beg to differ. Oh, yeah. So he did, towards the end of his schooling, he started getting violent towards his wife. And so what, you know, they kind of split up and he filed for a divorce on the terms of that she was being unfaithful. So he filed the paperwork and then he was blamed for the murder of his instructor. And when he was like, no, no, no. I didn't murder my instructor. I was actually just claiming life insurance fraud for a cadaver. (laughs) They were like, oh, okay, well, that's less bad. And this is when he changed his name and he moved out of state. Surprise, surprise. He had to get away. When he moved, he bounced around a whole lot. And he just did a bunch of scams to keep the money coming. And around this time... He married Myrta Belknap. This is 1886. And... Belknap? Yep. At this, you know, he marries her. But the thing is, when he filed for divorce from Clara, neither of them showed up to court to do anything about it or pushed it. So he was still married to Clara. What? 
when he married her. So he had two wives at this point, and he was bouncing around with his wife. And they, by by law, he had two wives, but, but the other one was already like. I mean, she was she was living her life her yeah, back back far away. So him and his wife lived in Williamette, Illinois. He spent most of his time in Chicago. He got a job working for a pharmacy in 1886 as well because he had a fellow alumni who owned it in Inglewood. Him and Albert Fish shared very similar clothing style. Yes. <laughs> you looking that up? Mustache, hat, the whole, you know. I mean, it was a similar time period. Similar time period. And I'm sure that was quite common back then. But yeah, they, they chose very similar... Uh, aesthetic (laughs) he started working for uh, a fellow alumni from university of michigan who also moved to chicago but he had already started a pharmacy so holmes worked for him in his pharmacy for a good amount of time and he was a hard worker dedicated he did have a little bit of a problem with uh, the law for a moment because he gave some kid a prescription and he died oh (laughs) but nothing was pinned on him but he did convince the couple that owned the pharmacy to let him buy the pharmacy off of them. Now, another sensationalized part of this story is that he murdered him and his wife and made up a story about them moving far, far away. They didn't. They lived a full life into the like 1900s. They were great. Huh. <laughs> so who made up that part? The press. They were like, oh. <laughs> they didn't think they'd get called out on that one? They didn't oh, have Google no. back then, apparently. That's the <laughs> problem. At this point in time, the media was going above and beyond what we know as fake news. They were like, we're taking it to the moon. It's been that way all along, but we won't get into all that. <laughs> uh, so what he did was he worked very well and his pharmacy gained the money and then he bought the land across the street from the pharmacy and he had this vision that he was going to wait like an actual vision like he had a dream or he just no just like his plan was to make another pharmacy that was better across the street move his business across the street and also build apartments above it for people to live in now his vision for this building was not as fantastic as you would think because around the same time that he was doing this is when the World Fair came to Chicago and he saw this as a perfect opportunity to fulfill his longing desires to murder people and torture them. Oh, how sweet. Yeah, what a great guy. Now, Holmes was totally a masochist. All of his killings were based... A masochist? Yeah. Totally. Okay. Is that the right word? Yeah, I didn't hear what you said. Yeah. Um, All of his killing was based on, you know, his ability to be in control and to inflict pain, torture, and inevitably kill said victims. You got to give him props for following through on his life stream. (laughs) I guess so. Once he, um, he got to building, he had the first floor built with which was his pharmacy and then a couple of retail places and then um as builders kept building well he had a couple hiccups in the building process because he's he's a con man 
and he's building all of this on credit so like the steel company isn't getting paid so they're like see you later if you're not gonna pay us right now we're not gonna do it and so he did go through a lot of contractors but another reason why he had so many contractors was because he didn't want any single person to know the floor plans for his heinous hotel. I'm a little impressed in the fact that he was able to pull this off without actually having the funds to do it. Like this guy, if he would have applied his genius to anything other than scamming people and killing people, he was capable of anything. Oh, for sure. He built a massive hotel without having the funding to do it and then owned the hotel. And I mean... It's pretty crazy. Um, it's short-lived, which I didn't know how, you know, exactly that it was a short-lived thing, but it was a pretty short-lived thing. What I'm going to do is kind of take you through a tour of said horrible hotel. <laughs> we will definitely also post pictures and stuff on Yes, I have media. some pictures of the floor plans, which kind of put into perspective how crazy this is. So the first floor... I mean, it's a candy shop, it's a pharmacy, and it's just a couple random retailers. It looks just like a regular Chicago street, what you'd imagine. You've got two stories above that where your hotel is. In construction, he did rent a couple rooms to a few women, and those women mysteriously moved away leaving all of their belongings behind and not telling anybody they were leaving (laughs) and no he actually went so far as to write their loved ones that they met someone and that they were moving to them so he must have forced them to write this like how would they not recognize their their loved ones handwriting yeah i didn't i didn't even think about that but yeah he did he maybe it was like a telegram so it was typed out typed out for him that makes sense yeah but so it was it was kind of crazy because he did go through a little bit of work in the beginning to cover <laughs> his to cover his tracks. But when you get up there to the second floor, it's gorgeous. It's everything that he was dreaming of because he he conned his way into getting this luxurious furniture and the carpeting and the wallpapers on credit can you imagine like the ability just not even with a real name to con your way into building a massive hotel yes furnishing it you know i mean he was making money here and there on the side with obviously you know insurance fraudulent claims with these corpses and with right but i mean he was convincing banks to loan him the additional resources necessary to build this thing and i mean i guess i mean times are very different now than they were back then but i'm i'm genuinely impressed with this part of that gift of gab let me tell you this is why i love it yes i (laughs) thought that you would uh so basically when you get up there you've got the reception room gorgeous you're impressed there, there's like a, a, a pretty room to walk through to go to a waiting room that has a beautiful circular window. You can look out at the corner of 63rd and Wallace in Chicago. And you're on the second floor. You're looking down at the city. And you're like, yeah, I, I chose pretty well. That's about the best. <laughs> best it gets. Because as you walk down the hallway, the place turns into a maze. It had a staircase 
that didn't go anywhere. The bedrooms, there were doors, and you, you kind of thought that the room went along the side of the building, but it didn't. It was in the middle of the building, so you would think that you'd have windows in there. You thought that you were where, you know, in a different spot in the building because of these winding, twisting hallways that you went down. But really, you're in the center of the building. He had tons of pipes that went from the basement where the gas was being pumped in, and the room was built airtight. So you were just suffocating and being gassed in these rooms. I mean, I can't even imagine the construction crew that was building this. They're like, you want us to do what now? Uh, I don't think <laughs> uh, you understand how this works. Another thing is there there was a room. It was called the five-door room. So the five-door room obviously had five doors, but it was very confusing because if you left out, like, out of a certain door, you are just in a maze of hall, and it doesn't lead anywhere. The doors are just... If you open one, it's brick shut. If like there's no escape until you find your room again, even then, most of the time, your door was locked from the outside so you couldn't get out. In this room, he had a closet that he could lock people in and it was airtight and they would just suffocate to death. No gas needed. Just a small closet that he could lock them in and listen to them suffocate. Further on down the hallway, we get to a hidden trap door that he uses to get to his dumbbell elevator that takes him down to the basement with the dead bodies that he kills on this half of the hotel. Into his office, right? If I remember correctly. Well, yeah, his quote-unquote office, but we'll touch on the basement in a moment. But I mean, like this corridor would go, it didn't just go straight to the basement. He had like a whole map planned out. That he would take these bodies through so that when, like, sheriffs came in or, you know, police came through. Oh, yeah. He could, like, bring them to one room and then walk them past and then go back to that room and bring them to the next one. Yes. It was crazy. If you look at the floor plans, the it says, like, hall, hall, the maze. All of these rooms have paths that you, you wouldn't think if you were in the hotel that there was enough space in between that there, there was a body being transported right around you. So it's absolutely like the floor plans are so intricate and I, I'm going to post the floor plans and an artist actually brought his hotel to life like in dimensions and like oh, figured out nice. how it is because it's always been a mystery but by what we have of the floor plans and what documents we have he brought it to life in a drawing so it's really cool and i will post that i have not seen that i'm excited about this that is second floor you know we've we've got a lot of different rooms but they're all pretty much trap doors doors that don't open rooms that you get locked in the second floor was where most of his murders happened because the third floor was never 100 percent finished the contractors started catching on that he wasn't paying <laughs> for all those contractors that are like take your deposit and then like never come back ha <laughs> but for those of you that are like legitimate contractors that would suck that would have really sucked <laughs> um so the the third floor did have a lot of strange passageways and uh some of the stairways led up to the third floor and a lot of different hallways kind of wrapped around and 
dead-ended and it was definitely designed in a manner that was intended to be used at a later point when upon completion but that brings us down to the basement now the basement is where all of his magical shoots that he has throughout the building lead to because you gotta dispose of the bodies without the pharmacy the candy shop (laughs) All of the random patrons figuring that out. Or the police that will eventually come explore through his hotel. His basement is where he had a massive vat of acid. Well, I mean, of course. That he could dispose of the body parts. This guy sounds like a villain from a superhero movie. (laughs) Seriously. He also had a bunch of... uh, One million (laughs) dollars. That's actually not a lot of money. Oh. Two million dollars. <laughs> so he had his uh, his main office downstairs, but he also had his autopsy tables because now he's a skilled doctor who is very good at stripping bodies of their flesh and doing autopsies and whatnot. So throughout this time, he's still collecting insurance fraud off of his victims, but also so not to do too many insurance claims. What he does is he uses his medical connections and he sells the skeletons to universities to use in lectures. Thrifty. He, he knows how to make a buck. I mean, once again, if it wasn't for all the people who died at this man's hands, I am fascinated by his intellect and ability to achieve the results that he got. I mean, aside from murdering people, which is horrible, and, you know, insurance fraud, which isn't great, what he is capable of is truly, in the true tense of the word, extraordinary. And, I mean, the other thing I've been thinking while you've talked the mafia was, like, prevalent in chicago at this time he had to have gone up against the mafia too like he's building this massive hotel you know they want their cut you know i'm sure he was dealing with that side of it that doesn't really come up in the stories i mean the only thing that i mean probably because he's building a, a large hotel so i'm sure there has to be some kind of push from the mafia because i, right. feel I like mean if you're a, a successful hair salon the mafia is knocking and asking right. for their cut I but mean, like is, i said this this whole endeavor didn't last for that long i mean this giant mansion of a hotel does not go unnoticed for more than like a few weeks by the mafia oh, they're yeah. like they're no, knocking on his door i would think so would make sense. He you was know. probably like, hey, we'll bury a few bodies down here if you guys just <laughs> look mean, the other hey, way. I <laughs> mean, it didn't come up, but he might have been knowing that. All right. He had about seven years total in the hotel between the start of building it to when he skipped town. And it took like five years to complete construction. So he only got to truly enjoy his murder castle for like two years. Yeah. I mean, it never was 100% complete. Like I said, the third floor was never actually finished. And when did you say, so 1891 is when he committed his first murder, is that correct? Yes, in the hotel. In the hotel, yeah. Yes, because he has been, like I said, killed his professor, but didn't, he's associated with the death of a kid at a pharmacy. In between skipping towns, there was a couple things that possibly he did, possibly he didn't. Now, right before he skipped town in 1894 what happened was all of these debt collectors came after him because they were like you didn't pay us for this hotel you didn't pay us for the furniture there's just a whole lot of stuff that you owe everywhere 
I mean, he's selling books and he's not paying for it. He, you know. <laughs> and, you know, he's taken out but, bank loans, yes. I'm sure. Then independent loans with the construction companies. Then, like, hey, I'll pay you later. Hey, I'll do this. Hey, I'll do that. Like, and it all adds up. He, he honestly was making some good money. You know, like, he had money. They brought him in and they questioned him about it. And they were like, they heard him out. He, he, like I said, he had the gift of gab and they're like, okay, step out for a minute so we can decide what we're going to do. And when he stepped out, he left. (laughs) He might've got away with it. (laughs) I mean, he was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to take this and go. (laughs) And when that happened, he, he skipped around a whole bunch. He was all over the map and he ended up in Colorado where this time he ended up in Colorado and he married his third wife Georgina York in January of 1894 which that's right he's still married to his other wives (laughs) so you know this, this man's really I mean in the process of being chased by these debt collectors murdering people and all this he's still able to seduce women oh yeah and well, he, he was a con artist to the max which is crazy in between all of this while he's skipping around all these towns he does a short uh, little stint in a jail in st louis missouri and he's talking to one of the the inmates there who's doing much longer than he is and he comes up with this plan that he's going to fake his own death after taking out a ten thousand dollar life insurance plan for himself which is equivalent to two hundred ninety thousand dollars now he'd get a pretty good payoff yeah yeah but he changed his mind when he got out of prison. He decided that he was going to have his friend, Pritzel, fake his death, and then Holmes would collect the insurance policy on him. Yep. But you know what? He just killed him. Yep. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't trust a guy like that. Do you know how he killed him? No, that didn't come up. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, was, I forget. They did like some elaborate thing and he was just supposed to like save him oh, or something no. like that. No, it wasn't an elaborate thing. I'm sorry. It did come up. He he killed him with ether, I want to say. Ether or chloroform. One of the two. But yeah. And then he, he actually collected the life insurance and then he traveled around with uh, his deceased friend's wife and children for a good amount of time saying that they were going to go meet up with him. What? I did not know (laughs) that part. That's crazy. It is. Like, this guy was crazy. But in October of 1895, Holmes was arrested and put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Petzl, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. While he was there, he admitted to 27 murders while he was in his castle. So 27 of the murders were in the murder castle? That's what he claimed. This was on top of the murder that he was already being charged with. (laughs) However, while he went through and explained how he was 
torturing these people, 27 of them, all of them either gas put into nailed coffins. I mean... Was there really a flame room? I mean, there was a crematorium that he claimed he used for blowing glass. No, no, I heard one of the hotel rooms. That might have been one of the folklore ones. Yeah. It was a room that would like... It was basically Turn into an incinerator. Fire. Yeah, no, that that was not true. He just had okay. He had a um, basically a crematorium in his basement. So he was also a hobbyist. He blew glass on the side. Yeah, it was not the right anything <laughs> for blowing glass. Like, why is he admitting this stuff and then being like, Nah, no, I was just blowing glass. You know, like, yeah, I did kill well, those no, twenty-seven no, no, people. No, that. <laughs> He, when he built the hotel, he claimed that that was for blowing uh, Okay. However, the dimensions were all off. And so was the fact that he had massive container of gas that killed people. Yeah. If and you could just have this sliding bed go in and out yeah. of this furnace. I mean, glass kiln. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he, he played it off when he had it built, but then he he had started admitting to these things and how he would put them through these um, torturous mazes where he would have sliding doors and partitions that he was hiding behind and then sneaking, you know, sneaking away. But it was just so he could watch them in their terror and... Did he have like paintings where he'd slide the eyes out I and his eyes would go in? I hope to God that <laughs> he had like at least one of them. Um, Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? Right? <laughs> Robo Raggy. Please don't sue us. <laughs> <laughs> However, a lot of the people that he claimed that he killed were still alive. What? Yeah. He gave detailed descriptions of how he killed these people, but they were still alive. They had nine nine of them that they proved yes he did do these things but it was hard because remember he had an incinerator he was selling the skeletons to university without any records it's all under the table and he had vats of acid and lye that he was decomposing these bodies. So was he like just throwing them off their trail and telling stories to keep himself alive longer? Or was he crazy beyond the obvious level of crazy that he was? Yes. Or were there like (laughs) these people were actually living double lives themselves and they had other people claiming to be them who ended up getting killed? He thought he was killing the right person, but it wasn't. All around the whole thing is just crazy to me. Like, there's so many unanswered questions, and the media sensationalized so much, but really, I mean, nine people is a lot to kill. Well, yeah, but it could go the other way, too. How many people did he kill that he didn't admit to while he was putting them on that his the, hotel the was made other, of mazes? Yeah. I guarantee you there, his mind was a maze. They, they have a couple theories that say that he had about 200 actual victims. So there's a big swing. He claims 27 at times he claims more they know and can confirm nine 200 is the other spectrum of people that were missing that went to that hotel things like that like they just theories and at the rate that he claims to have been killing what could have been done so i mean there's a pretty big spectrum there but we know for sure there was nine and as many as 200 needless to say he was a genius? Uh, no, he was not a genius. He was a I mad mean, genius. I will say he was 
incredibly intelligent. Had he used his mind for anything else. I am not else. condoning the things that he has done with his mind, but his mind is extraordinary. Like, the ability to pull off this feat to this level, the way he pulled it off, is exceptional. Had only he applied it to things that did not result in torturing. Use your powers for good, <laughs> not evil. He was sentenced to death by the noose. However, when they pulled the floor out, his neck didn't break. He was strangled to death slowly and twitched for over 15 minutes. And at 20 minute mark, he was pronounced dead. So, I mean, he I wonder if they planned that. They were like, whoopsie, didn't didn't let it go fast enough. Rope was just a little too short. Sorry about that. Whoopsie. Um, what do you guys think, though? Like, does somebody who's this horrible, who literally goes out of their way to torture and brutally murder people for fun, do they deserve a slow and painful death? Do they deserve a quick and painless death? Or are, are you along the lines of, like, you don't believe in capital punishment? We should just study their minds. I'm curious. Let us know on our uh, Facebook group at Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries group. Do it. The only thing that um, he requested before his hanging was that at the time of his death that he was to be buried under 10 feet of cement because he didn't want anyone to dig him up and desecrate his corpse. I hope they put him out in public square and allowed people to desecrate him all day, every day for like three months. They didn't. They they actually went along with his wishes. What? And they put him under 10 feet of cement. But while this seems ridiculous that they would, you know, even bother listening to this idiot's request, it played out for us in modern time very well because... A few years ago, his great-great-great-grandson claimed to have his journals and claimed to have proof that H.H. Holmes was also... I feel like you've heard this before. Jack the Ripper. Oh, yeah, I have heard that before. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Uh so he was sensationalizing this whole thing and saying that he was going to release all of his journals that proved that he was there. He was Jack the Ripper. It detailed everything that he did horrible to all of the prostitutes. Yeah, the connections were weak sauce in this whole story. I followed this. And they exhumed his body and it was really well preserved because it had been sealed inside of cement since he was buried. Yeah. And DNA testing proved that he did not con his way out of being hung and fake his death and then become Jack the Ripper, but he was actually just dead. Wait, no. How could they prove that he was Jack the Ripper? Because his family's DNA. His uh, great, so like great, just great, basically great. saying that he's yes, part of the that family. Is, like. That is who he says he is. Like okay. they have, I don't know, 23 and me or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, they could prove that he's in the family line. So that, that makes sense. But it, it could be a brother of his if he had a brother. I don't know. But. Yeah, I don't know exactly. But DNA testing said. Because they would have had to have his DNA previously to prove that that was physically him, which they did not because that was too long ago. Yeah. But they can prove that he's part of the family. So they at least know that that is most yeah, likely. Like, yeah, no. Sorry, buddy. Either way, if you looked at the whole timeline of like, why? Because they were like, he was not committing crimes here at the same time that he was committing crimes there. And they tried to go back and forth. And it was like, just too. 
I mean, he hopped around a lot, but not. then they also had to claim that they're like, well, occasionally the t- the crimes did overlap, but he was pretending to be somebody else and had an accomplice, and like it went crazy. I think, if I remember correctly, yeah, I I remember that coming up. I wanted that ago. to be true. I'm like, like my like little oh well, craziness. we all just want to know who Jack the Ripper was. I'm that pretty too. sure. Which we do, I, we could do a episode on that as well. There's some really cool research on oh, Jack yeah. the Ripper. The actual hotel was set on fire. Nobody really knows who did it. All this time while this is happening and he's getting hung, the caretaker has been taking care of the hotel. Tis what caretakers do. Take care. Indubitably. How many hotels could the caretaker take if the caretaker could take house? The caretaker would take as many caretakes as the caretaker could take cares? (laughs) Carry on. I hope you keep that in there. I am. <laughs> um, however, he was found dead. He committed suicide and he left a single note that said, I could not sleep because he had claimed that it was haunted as fuck. I bet it was. And that's how he he kind of ended it. Can you imagine the souls that existed trapped in the walls of that building? No. Presuming, of course, that is how ghosts are created. I can only imagine. Now, I will say that 1895, the hotel was set on fire. They saw two men walk in. A couple hours later, they walked out. Well, they ran out. And then it was on fire. So, basically, instead of, uh, you know, trying to make it what it was, they gutted the whole thing. And they turned it into the U.S. Postal Service building that is still there today. And is haunted. Oh, <laughs> Yes, fuck. it is. <laughs> I would love... I just read about that recently. I would love to go and, like, check it out and I will do my best to make that happen. Although it's very hard to pull off with government buildings, I have found out. Yeah, I <laughs> doubt that we are going to be able to... It was I mean, so much easier when I was a kid and ghost hunted and just did it illegally <laughs> and just snuck in places. I mean, I'm not sneaking in a government building. A U.S. post office? Probably not <laughs> no. a good idea. I think that's like felony level oh, yeah. to the extraordinaire. But not when you're like 13. They don't care. They're like, ah, uh, yeah, don't do it again, you little brat. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the 80s, early 90s. But now they're like, we're going to make an example of you. Nah, they can't do anything. You're a minor. All they can do is slap you on the wrist. And like, if you kill somebody, yeah, they'll try you as an adult. Anything else? Not saying if you're under the age of 18, you should commit crimes. Please Don't do, do not. <laughs> but you will get away with it. <laughs> I beg to differ. By the but way, the show was 18 and older. Oh, but yes, I would love even just to go in there and be like, we're mailing a letter. Feeling energy. <laughs> Whatever. I'll just go in there and like just ask questions, and then you just go around with like a ghost detector thing. <laughs> totally. Like, How much are stamps? <laughs> what if I buy ten stamps? Is there a discount? What's the difference between a stamp and a forever stamp? What if I bought a hundred stamps? <laughs> all right, all right. Five hundred stamps. No discount. Really? How about a flat rate box? What if I bought ten flat? <laughs> Sir, they're free. You just paid the postage. Also, what is your wife doing? <laughs> Why is she walking around with a temperature gauge and a camera? Totally nonchalant. Whatever. <laughs> Some sage. Please stop burning that in your <laughs> Well, anyways, that kind of concludes and wraps sage up. Sage doesn't my... do anything. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> uh, that I, I won't say that definitively. My... I have to be convinced otherwise. <laughs> At this point, I am not convinced sage does anything. 
I wonder if we can sage our front porch and get rid of our, our walking man. Even if I could, I wouldn't. He's fascinating. How about we get rid of the weird, creepy spirit that wakes me up in the middle of the night and is terrifying? I mean, still, I guess since he's terrorizing you, we could get rid of him. But how do you get rid of one entity but without accidentally getting rid of all the other cool ones? I mean... We've it is like, this sage is designated <laughs> for this spirit only. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, but the one is outside, so. It's what I always wondered about things like Rogaine. You know, people take that. And I'm like, how does it know to only grow the hair on your head? Are you just not like covered in body hair everywhere after taking that? That's a good question. Right? I would have to think about that all night. <laughs> I um, used to feel that same way about like pain medicine. I'm like, how does it know that your pain is here? But it just, depending on the type of medicine. It just takes either. the inflammation away. Well, no, that, some of them take the inflammation away. Some of them just block the pain receptors to your whole body. So Ugh. you're just less sensitive everywhere. But Increase blood flow. Decrease, yeah. yeah. All those things. So that's that's the over under. I couldn't get into too much detail because I'd be here for like three hours if you wanted to hear every day. Oh well, the good news is, I mean, when we hit a good topic, you guys like it. Let us know, like, comment, whatever. We will come back to these topics and dig deeper and deeper and deeper. But to do two topics in the amount of time that we have, and quite frankly, most of our episodes are <laughs> seeming to go significantly over, like this one is about to. You know, we're more than happy to dig deeper, and we're not really limited to a specific time. But we don't want to like sit you guys here for five hours so let us know what you want more of and we will give it to you what you want we got so as i mentioned earlier when i start to introduce my topic you guys are definitely going to think that this whole thing was planned i assure you it was not it's crazy that for the first time in all of our our podcasts we started very similarly to how we introduce our stories I will say, we haven't had a whole lot of episodes under our belt, so it's kind of even weirder because, I mean, odds-wise, I feel like they went down, right? I mean, I yeah, technically speaking, if we had more episodes and we'd never done this yet, and then we both did it at the same time, depending on how you look at it, there could be greater odds or less odds. I don't know. My brain just broke. Never right, mind. Yeah, because you could, you could make an argument <laughs> either way. Like, well, inevitably, you're eventually going to try something new. And if you haven't done it in more episodes, then now you would do it. Or vice versa. If you haven't done it by now, were you ever really going to? And if you both decide to at the exact same time, the probability goes down. So, I mean, it really depends on how you look at it. It's that damn rabbit hole again. But back to the topic at hand. If you are having your morning cup of coffee, I encourage you to sit in a comfy chair, put your feet up, relax, and close your eyes. If you're driving to or from work while listening to this, I encourage you to keep your eyes open, as driving with your eyes closed, most likely not gonna end well. Mm -mm. The year is 1939. Germany has just initiated an unprovoked attack on Poland, starting off a series of events that would later be known as the beginning of World War II. The average cost of a new house is $3,800, and a new car, just $700. Average wages per year are around $1,730, and a gallon of gas costs just 10 cents. You're driving home late on a Friday night, windows rolled down. You can feel the cool, crisp breeze tickling the hair on your arm as it rests on the side of the door. It's not quite a full moon but it is brightly shining through the thin pockets of clouds in the sky. 
You flip on your high beams to see through an almost mist-like fog crawling across the road. Your radio starts to cut in and out with harsh sounds and static mixed with overlapping songs. You reach down and begin to adjust the tuner dial, looking down for what seemed like only a second, but when your eyes meet the road, you see a human figure standing before you, arm extended. Panicking, you slam on the brakes and swerve the vehicle to the right, heart pounding. You play back what just happened. I didn't hear a thud. I I, I didn't hit anybody. I, I didn't. You can feel your pulse in your neck as you look behind you out the driver's side window and seeming to glow in the moon's light. You see a beautiful young woman standing in an all-white evening dress with matching white high heels. She has long blonde hair, fair skin, and what appears to be a smile on her face. Uh, are you okay? You call back to her. Why sure, hun. Where are you off to in such a hurry? She responds with a flirtatious tone. Oh. Oh my god, I I thought I hit you. What are you doing out here at this hour? I'm looking for a ride. She says as she walks up to your window and places her hand on your arm. Oh my god, she's gorgeous, you think to yourself. Well, sure, I I can give you a ride. Where are you headed? Uh, The night's young. Care to buy a girl a drink? You know of a local ballroom that had an open invite event taking place. One you had considered going to, but did not quite feel like attending Stag. You drive her there, jump out of the vehicle, and rush to her door to assist her out by hand. Thinking to yourself how glad you were to have worn a nice suit to work today. You share drinks, laughter, and stories. You dance until all hours of the night, at one time even sharing a long, romantic kiss. But all good things must come to an end. She tells you that it's late and she must return home, asking kindly for a ride. She gives you directions, one turn at a time, until you end up heading back down the road from which you found her, Archer Avenue. Here, here, she says abruptly. You step on the brakes and look around, but there's no house in sight. Where? You say in confusion, and she points past you. There. You look and you see a little shack. You turn back toward her to confirm, and she's gone. You frantically look around, the back seat, the road, nothing. I mean, your door never opened. You would have heard it. The dome lights would have come on. What you just heard is a combination of experiences shared by more than three dozen reputable witnesses in Justice, Illinois, just outside Resurrection Cemetery. The beautiful woman described is known as Resurrection Mary and the Vanishing Hitchhiker. Have you ever heard this story before? I have, and let me just tell you that that was kind of fun, because I had no idea what I was going to say. He handed me note cards. Face down. She didn't even get to look at the cue cards. (laughs) And I couldn't look at him at all until he pointed at me, and then I pulled the card up, and I read it, and it just had a description of how I had to say it. So that was that was really fun. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I was surprised by how you started that story off. And then I was like, man, we started these pretty similarly. Yeah, like, with the I history totally, the yeah. But Resurrection Mary, yeah, I've, I've heard. I can't pull from my, my mind at this moment exact details of what I have heard, but I definitely have some 
vague memory of this, so I'm excited for you to fill me in. So being that we are from Illinois and the majority of our listeners at this point are also from Illinois. What up, Illinoisans? I wanted to, you know, start off with a pretty cool, legit horror tale, like, you know, paranormal tale from Illinois. And it's one of the most haunted locations in our entire state. One of the most validated, at least through story, ghost tales that exist. The legend suggests that Mary had spent an evening dancing with her boyfriend at Henry Ballroom. The evening ended with a fight and Mary stormed out, deciding to walk home. Wait a second. Henry's Ballroom? Oh, she's drinking Henry's. Look at that. (laughs) And we both chose something. I have the most heinous murderer in Illinois. You have the most ghoulish story. Man, (laughs) man, oh man, we must have really been on the same level. That's crazy that, yeah, you got the Henry's drinks because I did definitely not pick those out. And Henry Ballroom, I I did not even put those two together. The evening ended with the fight and Mary stormed out deciding to walk home. She started walking down Archer Avenue but hadn't gotten very far when she was struck dead by a hit and run driver. Her parents, after finding her, were of course grief stricken and chose to bury her at Resurrection Cemetery wearing a beautiful white dress with matching shoes and the hit and run driver was never found. Now hit and runs freak me out. As they should. Oh, yeah. It's just such a senseless thing. Like, I understand you don't want to go to jail or you don't want to lose your license. But that's somebody's somebody. Right. I mean, yeah, you're just basically a coward at that point. You don't want to face up to something that you did. Usually, well, I would guess usually involving something you were doing wrong, like drinking while driving or whatever. And if you get caught, you know you're going to jail. So you're, I mean, in their minds, they're better off just running, but leaving that person. I mean, they could potentially save that person if they stuck around. They don't even know. That is so selfish. What really kills me is that Technically, that's what really kills the victim. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's true. But yeah, that just drives me nuts because how many times if somebody had just stuck around and done the right thing, could have hit and run have turned out completely different. Right. Cowardice people, I tell you. Cowardice people. Grow a pair. I've got a list of a few of the reported sightings. Jerry Paulus, a Chicago Southsider, reported that in 1939 he met a person whom he came to believe was Resurrection Mary at the Liberty Grove and Hall at 47th and Mozart. They danced and even kissed and she asked him to drive her home along Archer Ave, exiting the car and disappearing in front of Resurrection Cemetery. And that was one of the stories where I put together my little conglomerate. In 1973, Resurrection Mary was said to have shown up at the Harlow's nightclub on Cicero Avenue on Chicago's southwest side. That same year, a cab driver came into Chet's Melody Lounge across the street from Resurrection Cemetery to inquire about a young lady who had left without paying her fare. Oh, that would really suck. Right? <laughs> that was like, uh, she's going to get a bad Uber report, but she don't even give a... <laughs> yeah, she just like straight up disappears. She'll So some of the stories go, she gets out of the vehicle and she starts walking away into the graveyard and the driver usually very confused, like, where are you going? They're worried about her. They just spent some time with her. Sometimes she goes off with them and like literally spends hours with them. 
and sometimes she just asks for a ride. It's so crazy to me that these people have like legitimate, you know, perceivably true stories about this young girl. And when I say young, by the way, might sound creepy. We're talking like 20s. Woman. You know, yeah, one young woman. But and, uh, oh, I just remembered where, like, besides the fact that being a Midwesterner, I've heard this story. You know where I've heard this? Where? Supernatural. Oh, they talked about Resurrection Cemetery and they, Supernatural? That's very They exciting. had Resurrection Mary on, like, a whole episode Oh, on I think I did see that one. It you. was a really good one. It yeah. was, yeah. It was, like, uh one of those where I was at the, the edge of my chair the whole time. And I gotta tell you, so I mean, so the number of people that have actually had like legitimate experiences with her. So according to the Chicago Tribune, full-time ghost hunter Richard Crow has a collection of three dozen substantiated reports of Mary from the 1930s to present that he has categorized or like, you know, filed away or whatever. I want to talk to this guy and see if I can get more information from him. I would love to interview him and play the interview on the oh, show. We'll that would see. be so cool. No so, guarantees that I, mean, I will, I will try to use my gift of gab to pull this off. But if you're listening, please, please contact us because we want to talk to you. If you're listening, it's probably like three years from now when we're actually famous. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and then, like, yeah, there were said to be sightings in 1976, 1978, 1980, 1989, which involved cars striking or nearly striking Mary outside Resurrection Cemetery. Mary disappears, however, and by the time the motorist exits the car, she's nowhere to be found. I mean, that is the best option if you think you hit somebody, is that it was a ghost and it disappears. <laughs> so in January 31st of 1979, article in the Suburban Trib, columnist Bill Geist detailed the story of a cab driver, Ralph, who picked up a young woman, a looker, a blonde. She was young enough to be my daughter, 21 tops, near a small shopping center on Archer Avenue. He's quoted as saying, a couple miles up Archer there, she just jumped with a start like a horse and said, here, here, I hit the brakes. I looked around and I didn't see no kind of house. Where? I said. And she sticks her arm out and points across the road to my left and says, there. And that's when it happened. I looked to my left like this. I just looked to my left, you know, file through at this little shack. And when I turned, she was gone, vanished. The car door never opened. May the good Lord strike me dead. It never opened. So that is another quote that I used to help build my story of the event as it played out. Well, with the name of Ralph, I totally would have read that completely differently. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not good with accents, so I'm I just going <laughs> to... I would have been like, she was a pretty girl. Oh, wow. I stuck, it, <laughs> I stuck a quarter in my nose and she disappeared. <laughs> uh, so, Geist, the columnist, described Ralph as not an idiot or a maniac, but rather... In Ralph's own words, a typical 52-year-old working guy, a veteran, father, Little League baseball coach, churchgoer, the whole shot. Geist goes on to say, the simple explanation, Ralph, is that you picked up the Chicago area's preeminent ghost, Resurrection Mary. <laughs> now, this is a much shorter story, uh, thank goodness, because we're pretty deep into this episode here, but according to the Chicago author Ursula Bielski, it's B-I-E-L-S-K-I, if I pronounce that correctly. A possible connection to Anna Marija Norcus, and again, that is Anna, M-A-R-I-J-A, however you pronounce that, Norcus, 
who died in 1927, auto accident, while on her way home from the O. Henry Ballroom, and is of course also buried at Resurrection Cemetery. This theory has gained a lot of popularity in recent years. So, her name, however you pronounce that, could be perceived as Mary by people that also can't pronounce that, or... They just have retold the story so many times and it's it's just become Mary. But of course, you know, this is like part urban legend, part an amazing amount of people that have shared similar experiences. And I mean, we're talking dating pretty far back. So it is interesting how many people can share that similar experience. And I'm not just talking like the full blown get in my car, hang out for hours and all that. But the number of sightings of Resurrection Mary on the side of the road are extraordinary. There are quite a few photographs of people that have claimed to have taken pictures of Resurrection Mary. I'll throw a few on, uh, you know, our Instagram and our Facebook. I'm very very skeptical of anything like this so i'll let you guys be the judge i mean some of them are just too good to be true and most likely faked and some of them are just i mean eh, i guess you could say that's kind of plausibly a white woman or a woman in a white dress but i'll I'll let you guys be the judge on that one there is tons of just people who have come forward and claim to have seen you know resurrection mary so I will share what I can find, and if I can get a hold of that ghost hunter, oh boy, will we send you guys an update and give you further information on that. But Oh, yes. I hope you enjoyed our little acted out scene play there. I did, for <laughs> sure. Do we give them a little taste of what's coming next week? I mean, by the time they hear this, yeah, for sure. We'll be, we'll be like there. We are doing an overnight ghost hunting at the Sandwich Opera House. There is some haunted folklore around this opera house that we're not going to share the details yet. That'll uh, be surprised next week. <laughs> a like locally famous ghost hunting group is teaming up with us, and, and I'll let you guys know who that is later. But we're, we're all doing an investigation together. We're going to interview them, hear their stories about what they've experienced at this opera house, get a little bit of the story behind why it's haunted, and we will put together some pretty cool stuff for you guys. I'm super excited. It's a total lock-in overnight. Unless, of course, we experience nothing, and it's totally boring. Ah! <laughs> I don't believe that will happen. I, well, there's no way of knowing. We'll see yeah. how it plays out. But, but I do. I, I have good good feeling about this. It should be good. And either if way, anything, if nothing yeah. happens, we're still going to get cool stories from them. Like their experiences. They have a ton of stuff that they've done at this uh, opera house. They also do ghost tours out of it fairly regularly during this time of year. Yes. So we but, will definitely be recommending them for that. It'll it'll be awesome. Uh, get you know sitting down and talking with people who actually goes hunt regularly, who who do this. It, it's going to be really great to pick their minds. So I'm excited to bring you guys that. I'm excited to bring you guys anything that we find on the whole overnight stay. And I mean I'm just bursting with excitement, so I can't handle it. <laughs> 
There will be pictures. There will be photographs. Wait, I just said that. There will be photographs. photographs. (laughs) There will be audio clips. There will be interviews. We'll have a podcast. We'll most likely put together like a short YouTube video, even though we have literally no experience how to edit that, but I'll try to figure it out. Hey, you know what? Even if we don't edit it, you'll just be able to see us in our our natural environment. And then um, there's there's most likely going to be the beginning of our Patreon extra behind the scenes stuff. There will definitely there. be uh, some probably some bonus material for you Patreons. So uh, we, we haven't really talked too much about our Patreon. The big thing about what we're doing with Patreon, because everybody does it a little bit differently. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, we kind of want to do. For example, we want to potentially get a mystery box off the dark web. And do an unboxing episode where we'll videotape it. We will have a pretty detailed, like, trying to figure out the mystery behind it. I mean, if you've never seen one, once again, YouTube, Dark Web Mystery Box Unboxing. Some of the stuff that they get in these boxes is incredibly bizarre Bizarro and creepy. and full of hell to the no, no, no. We also want to do a lot of future ghost investigations, uh, you know, overnights, go to places that are a little bit harder to get into. A lot of these places cost money to get into. So essentially, if you guys are excited about and want to see the mystery box, you help fund it by joining that patreon group and we know where your money wants to go oh and we will appreciate it so much we will appreciate it so much you will get exclusive behind the scenes photographs and audio clips and information for our unboxings and then when we do the the paranormal you know we'll have extra behind the scenes stuff for the paranormal stuff and photos and all that kind of stuff so that's that's how we're using it if you guys are interested at all if you guys just want to listen to the show and that's it you know like that's awesome we love it we love you guys we appreciate you forever if you do want to become Samsonites Unite and become Patreon members we're going to offer some exclusive content for you and you know just kind of as a thank you but you're helping the show grow you're helping us get the equipment we need to make it better and keep doing this long term and then if you want to see the ghost hunting stuff or the mystery box stuff or any future stuff that we put on there please feel free to join all right and also please remember to like this episode share it comment rate we love it it helps us 100 so we can keep bringing you as much material as possible so please do that and as always tweet at us at spirits within us oddity don't forget to follow us on instagram or facebook at spirits oddities and mysteries and if you feel so inclined to email us with a fun fact um possibly sharing your own random story because we want to hear it we want to share it send it on our way if i messed up something let me know because i'm not uh claiming to know everything and we would love to hear from you at spirits oddities and mysteries at gmail.com and if you feel so inclined our patreon is patreon.com forward slash spirits oddities and mysteries and as always we want to thank kevin mclean for evening of chaos our intro music full details in our description